I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood and human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when dawns were young. I built my hut near the Congo and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I even heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans and I've seen its muddy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers, ancient, dusky rivers. My soul has grown deep like those rivers. Langston Hughes. Bearing Witness, part of the Racial Reckoning Project, is a reflective dive into the week's events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. Each week, we will compare notes from the week's events, connect the dots to past and present experiences and racial patterns in America, and connect with community members from many different perspectives who are themselves trying to make sense of this moment. I'm Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. And I'm Georgia Fort, an independent journalist. Black people have borne witness to much of our known civilization as leaders of ancient civilizations bearing knowledge and wisdom. We have known the deepest sorrows and the greatest joys. Ours is an experience that can speak to all that humanity has endured. And as we heard the guilty verdict earlier this week, I was reminded almost immediately that this was only a moment in thousands of years of struggle. And that almost as assuredly as the accountability brought forth joy in my soul, so too did it bring the energy-sapping reality of our continued fight. From the joy of justice served to the laying down of the fallen, this week definitely requires healing reflection. Miss Georgia at George Floyd Square, when I sat around a small phone with a bunch of clergy leaders, including Reverend... Um, Reverend Gia Starr Brown and, and, and several others, that realization and joy came almost simultaneously as, okay, but this is Wednesday <laughs> and we have Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and all the work that has in front of us. And so as we reflect this week and touch base, um, you know, that's where my headspace is at. The simultaneous presence of a little bit of accountability and a whole lot of work. Uh, how has this week, as you look back at this week, how did this week go for you being a frontline independent journalist? I, I got to imagine there's a lot going on. You know, the energy in front of the uh, courthouse when that verdict was announced was uh, indescribable. I, I mean, you just heard people uh, break out uh, screaming with joy. Uh, and then on park benches nearby, you saw elder black men shedding tears of joy. And so the expression, uh, you know, whether it was uh, joy, chanting, tears, it, it was overwhelming for everyone. And uh, for myself, there was this immense pressure to live stream this moment, to broadcast this moment. And uh, uh, just kind of some, some back-end stuff, uh, we encountered every single technical difficulty <laughs> that a person could endure in that moment. And by the, the grace of God, uh, everything came together for the verdict uh, and then slowly kind of started to um, 
get undone. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it, a lot of people were experiencing technical difficulties due to the fact that there were so many uh, people downtown Minneapolis. There were uh, hundreds of members of the press all jamming up uh, the internet connection. And mm-hmm. so no one could get a, a stable connection, including us. And so I found myself, uh, because I'm very relentless, Switching from the camera internet setup to my phone, I have a 5G Wi-Fi puck I connected to it. I took a camera person's phone. Let me see your phone. You're an admin on my page. I can stream. (laughs) I was trying everything. And when nothing would work, I found myself in this moment putting all of the technology down and uh, hearing God just say, embrace this moment. Mm. And so uh, I share that to say, no matter what profession you work in, I think that there was this collective sigh of relief. I think that there was this moment where the majority of people set aside their profession and their politics and they embraced their humanity. I know at least I did. You know, I I was sitting next to, you know, as you talk about and describe that moment, um, we were attending to um, Reverend Gia's um, wife who... um, was embodying the tension ahead of the announcement. I mean, it, it, in hindsight, it seems almost silly, but 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 we had tension in knots, despite the case, despite the video, despite the world seeing something happen that was blatantly, egregiously assaultive to the human essence. But we were worried, <laughs> and we couldn't put that worry aside. We couldn't have pure hope, and 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 I remember we had to get her water, and we and we had to to just sit with her. And there were even members of the press because when I got to George Floyd Square, um, you know, on call as a as a protest chaplain. Um, there was only media there. There were only the, the CNN cameraman. There was a, a Danish reporter that was live streaming the moment. That's all who was there. And they were coming over, checking on to see if she was okay. And and they kind of fixated around her because she was embodying the moment in ways that there hadn't really been other folks there yet. And so when when the verdict was read, she broke down. I mean, if 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 I could capture all of Sula, all of Beloved, all of Toni Morrison's combined <laughs> works embodied in a woman um, ex- putting, expressing forward that, like, she was the visual picture of it. And it's actually what went over a whole lot of news um, agencies. Um, and so and so I'm standing behind her and she's buckled over on the ground in all of the fields, all at the same time. And all we heard was the first count. And so she got a second wave of it when we calmed back down and realized that it was guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, but almost immediately, like uh, the, the, even the prayer vigil became less about joy, even though that was felt in the air, but it was almost at one point where, where that folks are still needing to figure out how to release that tension. And Reverend Gia told everybody in the whole crowd to just scream. She's like, on the count of three, we're just going to scream. And everybody screams. I can see on the corner across from me on the top of a building, a reporter put down his camera and opened his hands like super wide power stance and just screamed to the air. It was a powerful moment. And then the brother behind me goes, man, I didn't even know I needed that. And, mm. and, and then there was this realization that even though we had this moment of joy, the tension tank kept filling up over and over again. Um, and and, and and we came to a collective realization in the space that yeah this this is when it set in that no this 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 really isn't justice this is a moment of accountability as as uh, Attorney General Ellison said so so 
you know, I, I, I got to wonder, you you have a pulse on all of the things going on. You've been on the ground with Dante Wright, you've, with that coverage, you've been on the ground for the coverage of this trial, you've been on the ground for, you were on the ground with Jamar Clark. So you have been bearing witness to all of these moments. And I'm curious how hearing that verdict sat with you in the context of all of that. It's it's like you said, it, it was just a moment. And we couldn't hold that moment long enough. Hmm. It's almost like it, it escaped between our fingers because uh, we all became overwhelmed with all of the things. Uh, the same day that the verdict came out, another black person was killed by police. You know, uh, the verdict came out Tuesday and by Thursday is Dante Wright's funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's just like we can't come up for air long enough. You know, like we can barely get our our, our footing uh, mm-hmm. before it's dealing with the next thing. And even in in terms of you know Dante Wright, uh, the the politics behind that and covering the developments, uh, I made a declaration. Uh, that I was not going to cover Dante Wright's funeral as a journalist uh, because of the fact that I believe funerals are a sacred space for families to say their final goodbyes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I heard from a lot of people who attended and who watched that it didn't feel like a sacred space for the families because a lot of people were using it as a a platform. So Mm. much so that uh, there was a political interaction between attorney Ben Crump and um, uh, attorney Keith Ellison, where I believe Crump was uh, trying to uh, get Keith Ellison to agree that he was going to take on this case and help this family get justice. Mm. Uh, That moment uh, was highlighted on Friday afternoon during a press conference where uh, Nakima uh, pointed that moment out in contrast to a recent conversation she had with the Washington County attorney Mm. uh, where he said that Keith Ellison told him he has full faith that Pete Orpit can try this case and get justice. One of the things that was interesting was that Pete Orpit came out of his home when there were only three of us remaining. And one of the things that we asked him about was why wouldn't he turn the case over to the attorney general? And he said, I just got off the phone with Keith and I talked to him about this case. And Keith said that he has full faith and confidence in me. Now this is after we just saw Keith Ellison on stage at Dante Wright's funeral, nodding as if he was going to help bring justice for Dante. We know that historically speaking, that there has, we haven't seen that happen. The only justice we've seen in cases of, of police accountability have been Muhammad Noor and, and now uh, with Derek Chauvin. Hmm. And so uh, the fight continues. You know, it, I mean, it, the the sad thing I think about this verdict is, show me one person in America who thought that Derek Chauvin was going to be found guilty on all charges. Show me one. No one, no one thought that he would be found guilty on all charges. There was a a small sliver of hope that he would be found guilty on manslaughter or maybe third degree because we saw that. 
but no one thought he would be found guilty on all charges. And the you, fact that that is our reality is just as disturbing. I, I want to read you on that on that point um, because I got home looking for. I spent the day looking for that moment of joy. Um, it felt like the spaces I'm in, where we counsel uh, members of our congregation around addiction. It felt like I spent the day chasing the high of the immediate moment of the verdict. <laughs> because all the rest of the day was constant reminder, even even removing the platform that was standing on for the prayer vigil and trying to get that back to the church, crossing moments of folks who are all going through their various stages of realization. And then um, talking to my wife who asked the question, like her post, she's, she's, she's Facebook epic with her post. She confronts in ways that I don't, I can't, do on social media because it only stresses me out, but she, she enjoys the fight, but she had the most poignant post um, on the 21st. She said, we found the threshold. This is her post in order for a white cop to be convicted of murder in a case with the black victim in Minnesota. It has to have been a slow and obvious murder that took place over the course of 10 minutes in the middle of the day, witnessed in person by no less than 10 civilians, three mm. other cops, a firefighter, and a notary. It has to have been recorded on video from no less than three different angles. It has to have sparked international outrage with protests on every inhabited continent and public art displayed in every state in the nation. This is why I have trouble celebrating the verdict produced yesterday. The fact that we were braced, even in this case, for yet another failure of our justice system is the problem. That result is exceptionally painful. That was where my wife's head was at. And so we found ourselves coming back together again at the end of the day, setting some context, right? There was a momentary release and then saying, but if the cameras weren't there, if these witnesses weren't there, mm. is that what it takes? And um, and if folks need to understand that, and of course, now we're in a space where we're starting to hear the quote unquote pushback. There was a release from the um, Federation, the Police Federation, um, basically saying um, there's no winners in this every, you know, and we can let's now we can hopefully put aside the political pandering and all of this as if this was just a momentary fluke. We had a, a, a senator say that the the verdict disgusted her. We have a whole lot of work to do. And the press conference that morning even set the context that said, you know, we need now we need to move to the policy action. Folks are already moving to the next set of work. So who gets rest? Who gets rest? We've seen, and that's why the Langston Hughes poem resonated with me, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and to add to that, it, it's like when you talk about the bracing, the visual I get, is me leaving downtown Minneapolis after this verdict was announced and headed to George Floyd Square, driving down Lake Street and seeing block after block after block boarded up. Mm. Because it wasn't just like it was the Black community bracing for a not guilty verdict. The businesses were. Huh. <laughs> the city and the state officials were. Hence... The fencing, the double fencing, the barbed wire, the National Guard. We had more soldiers here, I heard, than what there were overseas. Mm. So everybody was bracing for this to be a failure, another failure. And, you know, uh, on top of that, uh, you know, you talk about the people moving on to the next thing. I was taken aback by the mayor of Minneapolis who held a press conference later that day 
to talk about removing the barricades at George Floyd Square. I just, mm. I, I was at home. I was not working. My journalist hat was off. I was in full mom mode, sitting on the couch in my sweats, holding my baby. This is the same day, just hours after the verdict is announced. And I'm looking on my phone, just scrolling, looking for those moments of joy that you talked about, Anthony. And I come across a press conference from the mayor on the verdict. The title of it was, you know, the mayor talks about the verdict. And within this press conference, he deviates from the verdict to removing the barricades at George Floyd Square. And I just, I bursted out, you know, can we just have a day? (laughs) Uh, The intersection of 38th and Chicago uh, indeed has multiple truths associated with it. Uh, As is was being displayed uh, for the last several hours, it is a critical and important location of racial justice and healing. It has been. We believe strongly that this should be both a a permanent memorial to George Floyd, everything that he stood for in his life. Uh, Uh, And so, you know, moving forward, as the chief has mentioned, there there will be a, a reopening of the intersection, but it is not a going back to normal. Can we, can we just have a day? You know that that's traumatizing. You know that that's a point of contention. Why would you choose now? You know, and, and so it just, it, it is hard because it's like, you know, as soon as you have that sigh of relief, it's like your 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 body is tensing back up from the next traumatic encounter. <laughs> Uh, so it, I mean, it is a turbulent time, I would say, for Black folks in the city of Minneapolis and even the state. You're listening to Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, created and supported by Ampers, KMOJ Radio, and the Minnesota Humanities Center, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. That point right there is why Langston Hughes came roaring into my psyche. Because he had, I had to go to our one of our muses in our in, in our our continued experience of struggle to remind me that we have seen rivers, ancient rivers. We have been in places through that um, that witness to the greatness that we can be and the worst that we can be at the same time. And it's been the only thing that is giving me a place of, all right, I can breathe through this moment and walk through this moment. And I think um, it's very fitting that it's today we get to talk to the patron saint of bearing witness that we close with every day about uh, every time about making our revolution be healing. Every week here on bearing witness, we quote Um, To close our show, um, Dr. Joy Lewis, who um, has been a a connector for for us, has been a teacher for us, has been a reminder of our healing power daily. And we're so excited to be able to bring her into this conversation um, and and be able to to show y'all why we do that, why we quote her regularly. So please, please welcome Dr. Joy Lewis. Welcome, Dr. Joy. 
Thank you. Honored to be here. So glad to have you. And yes. perfect timing too, by the way. <laughs> so so let me just ask you, you got to hear me and, and Georgia kind of recount and reflect on the week. What's what was coming up for you as you were listening? Um I, I saw your face nodding in the Zoom box. So I'm really curious. <laughs> yeah, so much, so much. Um, you know, certainly reflecting on the week and on the moment um as as uh Georgia uh, was saying, and you know, Anthony, you know, as you were lifting up uh, Langston Hughes, and you know, certainly was just thinking about, you know, that moment. I too uh, was in downtown um, when the verdict um, was read. I just had made it there, and then I also had the opportunity to go over to George Floyd Square as well. There's just so much. I mean, I. I very much have been holding, like so many folks holding um, and thinking about like, what what does this mean for Black folks? What does this mean for our people? Um, You know, I I wish that I was surprised by um, the the mayor um, saying like, okay, now let's remove the barriers. I mean, that's one indication. I wish that I was surprised by you know, the kinds of moves that were made at the funeral. I wish I was surprised by that. I really do wish I was surprised, but I'm not. Um, And those are um, the kinds of traumatic, continual traumatic things that happen um, to our people. You know, I think the thing that gives me um, hope um, is that I'm just like, this system is just not, it just wasn't created for us. Right. And so I just don't put my um, my trust in this system in that way. I put my trust in 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 our people, in our ancestors, um, in, you know, in the fact that I do believe that the revolution can be healing. You know, I do believe in, uh, you know, I'm not looking to a system that that wasn't built for us to save us, that I actually am like, let us create um and uh, I believe in humanity. I believe that we can move, you know, and reach for each other's humanity and, and move from there. But it is, you know, it's crushing to think about and what we're bracing. It's like, yep, that moved to some accountability. I, too, was like, I certainly was one of those folks. I did not expect to get guilty on all three. I didn't. Because I don't believe the system it was, you know, I did not have trust in, in that system. And I was like, Really? On all three counts, like I did not expect that, you know, and I'm not hopeful about the sentencing. I'm not. And I have some concern um, in terms of the guard being let down of like, oh, OK, then the verdict came in with people. And I want that joy for folks. Oh, I so want that. I'm so happy that people got some relief. And, you know, and I don't want to take that moment away from folks. I'm so happy. We so deserve that. I so am happy that people could breathe. Ah, it's like, take your breath, sis. Take your breath, bro. Like, I'm so happy for that. And I want people to be able to to gather that. And part of what I do, I love the fact that um, the Sister Georgia, um, you know, is doing the coverage. I'm not one to watch um, a lot of the um, the proceedings, but I watch our people watching. That's what I do. Mm. I watch our people watching because part of what my role is as a healer is to track how people are 
um, feeling. Dr. Joy Lewis, you coined the phrase, may the revolution be healing. Uh, and it's it's caught on so much so that it was on the cover of a magazine at the beginning of this year. Uh, but I thought about the revolution so much in uh, the last two weeks. I thought about the revolution when I was out covering the protests for Dante Wright at the Brooklyn Center Police Department and was shot with a rubber bullet and maced. I thought about the revolution when I was downtown Minneapolis uh, getting ready to cover a press conference uh, that just would not start on time and snowflakes started to fall from the sky in April. And I thought about the purple one. I thought about Prince and his song, Sometimes It Snows in April. And I thought about how he was the one who said that the revolution would start in Minneapolis. Mm. And I, I thought about the revolution again uh, when people would say the phrase, you know, the revolution will not be televised, but it will be live streamed. Yes. <laughs> and Lord knows I've been popping up on people's Facebook with live streams all day, every day. Uh, and, and so I'm curious to know from you as we think about the revolution and we think about our role in the revolution, how is it that our revolutions can be healing? Yeah, you know, um, I am like so excited about the fact that um, that the revolution is healing for us because we are finding our ways back to each other. We are mm. finding our way out of isolation. We are finding our way um, back to connection. We are finding our way back to community. You know, there is a way that we're like, we are not going to make it out of out of this um, without each other, right? We're not going to make, we, there's no way we can be well if we are not connected, if we are not, I mean, it's so beautiful how we are seeing each other um, through this, through mutual aid, you know, through like dropping off food, through like checking on each other, saying, you know, sis, brother, what do you need? You right, you know, and, and realizing like, ain't no Red Cross coming for us. Right. Hmm. Whenever stuff goes down, you know, whenever, you know, in other white communities or whatever, whenever um, Red Cross comes, FEMA comes, they drop us. When we are shot um, and killed by the police or by the state, ain't no Red Cross coming for us. You know, ain't no FEMA hmm. coming for us. Who's coming? They're sending in troops. It's going to be a war zone. They're sh they're closing down the grocery store. They're going to, um, you know, bring in bring in war. But. What happens? We become our own Red Cross. We create a healing environment for ourselves. We start, you, people get to organizing, dropping off. You know, that, you know, as this is, I come from a, you know, faith tradition it says, you know what? There's so much you won't even be able to receive it, right? And like, it's like, mm -hmm. we got enough donations, y'all. We can't even take any more over here. Y'all gonna have to take some <laughs> over there. So, that's what's happening, right? People are going back to who we are, right? Of, of, of finding each other, looking out for each other, taking care of each other. And that's what needs to happen. Now, you know, the work that we are doing um, at the Healing Justice Foundation in connection with so many community partners around the cities, 
that what we're saying is, is that this is not for a week. This is not for two weeks. This is about building an infrastructure that can be in perpetuity. Like, how do we make sure that these things are not, you know, I'm not, I'm not impressed. Y'all will find me like, I'll do an interview here or there, but I, I am not one to be like, I need to be like in front of the camp. You know, I don't really care about all mm-hmm. that. My thing is like, where y'all going to be when two weeks from now, whenever it's not all of that going on, who's going to make sure that when this stuff is not all high profile, that in our community is still here, that we make sure that people are still taken care of. Because you know hmm. what? We still got businesses that are boarded up. We still got folks who are not receiving, you know, the the proper things that are needed. And so my thing is, is that that's what's going to make it healing. We're going to make sure that people are taken care of and that we are still connected. So I think that we are finding each other. That's the healing part, right? That that's what the revolution is is bringing. It's bringing us back to each other. Mm, I love that. You know, I, uh, there are some examples that of that at George Ford Square. I remember looking up at one point um, and um, my phone was dying and I walked into Cup Foods. And, and what was amazing is um, you have the young man who wishes, who said in that court stand, who wishes I, I never called the cop. I wish, wish we never ever did that is taking care of me when as soon as I said, I walked in and I said, do you have a, he said, battery pack? Yup. And he brings out a battery pack and he tells me, he shows me what to do, which one is the best one. He gets me set up and he said, make sure you get this one that has two of them because I bet you're going to, I bet you're going to need both of these, these ports. Why did I walk outside 15 steps away from Cup Foods before they're about to close to listen to the verdict themselves? And sure enough, one of the other uh, chaplains who were there, their phone was dying. I was able to plug it up so that they could hear, hear, hear it. And then when we got done with the battery pack, we passed it and somebody else needed it. And then there's a point where one of the faith leaders needed, uh, had a sage stick. One of the native leaders who was there had a state sage stick and needed that lit. And all of a sudden somebody just said, anybody got a, and then before they could say lighter, we got people passing around lighters and making sure, um, and, and, and it, it happens and then making sure to watch it when it goes out. And then there was this moment where folks were coming up to the prayer vigil area and just asking her, Hey, can you sage me too? Cross faith across disciplines. We got, I mean, it was, it was all the pictures of what you described in terms of, you know, remembering and finding ourselves. That is, I got to see it on full display there. That's it. You're going to have to put me on to that battery pack because my stuff be dying. <laughs> I got one you can have. Okay, 100%. I'll be on the struggle bus. <laughs> well, I have to ask you all, you know, um, that, that, how you described the community healing reminds me of the first descriptions I got from Miss Rose McGee, one of our other community healers, right? And we, you know, in community, we define it. There are these people in our communities who just remind us of ourselves. I think you captured that perfectly, Dr. Joy, if we were going to give a definition of healer, right? But um, one of the things I'm noticing across all of you is that re- is that reflected, the call in to reflect on how we be with each other. Um, and so if you had to lay out in a space where I'm 
clawing and scraping for that reminder in places where I'm outside. I'm not, I'm away from Dr. Joy. I'm away from Elder Stacy. We, we've had a, quite a few healers come through this show. Um, I'm away from Elder Mahmood who gives you that brain, deep brain healing that make you go, huh? Oh, that's right. I love me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what do you, what do you say to the folk who are looking for that healing space or who may be struggling to grab or find that in their, on their own? One of the things that I always uh, like to remind um, folks about is that we all have that healing space within us. Mm. So it's within us. And one of the first places of contact to be able to find that super quickly is if you're listening to this, I always um, try to ask folks to say, just take your right hand and just place it over your heart. Just take Mm. a minute. And if you're with us, just take your right hand and place it over your heart. Soon as you do that, your entire central nervous system will begin to just calm down, right? Hmm. Right there. Because you have the power of healing in your own hands. And at Hmm. any time, you can make that contact with your own body and you can allow your own body to just calm down. So you're your first healer right there. Mm -hmm. So it's available to you, right? And you can begin to call that spirit that lives within you up at any time. And you can invite the ancestors and anybody. So, and you can train yourself. Your eye will begin to see your hand coming towards your heart. And it's like, oh, it can just notice it before you even make contact. Mm. It just notice that it's coming and you'll start to calm down. And then if you start breathing, it's like, oh, okay, I'm okay. And if, you know, I can notice my grandmother, I can see my grandmother. And now I'm like, oh, that's why she kept, you know, holding yeah. her, you know, that's why she kept holding her heart, right? Because we was doing the most, My family, right? we, call it, we call that the pearls. Right, the we, pearls. We, we she was the clutching pearls. them pearls, yeah. right? That's what she was doing. She was doing that healing process. So that's first of all, right? That mm. it's, it's, it's available to you at any time. And I think that that's super, super important because oftentimes we are looking for something. And then that it's even more powerful. You know, you just have one other person who will, that you can ask to bear witness with you. Can you just listen? Mm. Can you just listen to me for a minute? Can you just listen to me for a minute? And here's the thing. One of the things also that you can add when you are uh, putting your hand over your heart, I invite you to say this affirmation to yourself. I am amazing. Mm. I am awesome. And I am brilliant. I am amazing, I am awesome, and I am brilliant. And that is what's true about you. It is 100% true. And there are all these messages that get in our head that are not true. And you'll be like, I don't want to hear. But, you know, that is one of the meditations that as soon as I get up, I talk about before, you know, that... um committee meeting starts in our head. I don't know if that committee meeting happens at your house, but that committee meeting that starts in your head right in the morning. So you can interrupt that meeting <laughs> right in the morning <laughs> before it starts, <laughs> that long agenda, 
And you can begin to interrupt that and it works anytime. But you can also ask someone else to bear witness with you and say, can you listen to me for just a minute? And, Mm. you know, and can you remember that I'm amazing, awesome and brilliant? Can you just (laughs) remember that? Because I might forget. Can you just remember that? And I don't need any advice. I just need you to remember that I'm amazing, awesome and brilliant. And just for a minute. I just need to get something off my chest. I just need to share, right? And mm. if you can just hold and remember that I'm amazing, awesome, and brilliant, be really helpful, right? Mm. And that right there is what we call. So I have, I have a process. It's called the Orange Method. It has four parts: mm. meditation, which is about getting grounded; mindfulness, which is about getting present; emotional liberation which is about getting free, and conscious movement, which is about getting unstuck. Emotional liberation is that third part. And so that's the part where I'm saying if you can ask someone else to listen to you and you can get stuff up and out, right? And a lot of, we can solve our own problems most of the time. A lot of it has to do with the quality of listener. Right. And Mm. so if you can get somebody to just listen to you and not be confused about who you are. Right. Hmm. It will make a big, huge difference. Right. And you can teach the people in your life, your uh, partner, your spouse, your children, your elders. Just listen to me. Mm -hmm. Children love it. Try with your children. It's your turn. We're going to all get a minute. We're going to set the time. We all going to get a minute. And, you know, so I say all of this is that. You can, yes, there are, there are those of us who have a particular calling on our lives to be healers, to mm. do energy work, to, you know, to do all different kinds of healing. We are, but there also is a particular healing energy that we all can bring and offer up to each other, right? As we are, are traveling along the way. Right. And that it really healing is really about giving space, offering Mm. up some time, some breath, some space to be with each other. You know, um, when we were growing, you know, just sit down at the table for a minute. Can we go sit under a tree? Can we sit at the porch? I mean, that's what we used to do. Can we just sit for a spell, you know, and just Mm -hmm. go and visit? (laughs) That's what the healing is. But we got separated. We got in isolation. Mm. And so a lot of the depression that we have, a lot of the stuff where we're not well, because we don't get to, we holding on to too much stuff. We don't get to talk with Mm. each other. We don't get to be with each other. We don't, where is that stuff supposed to go? And people Mm. don't get to, get to get any of that stuff up and out. Or, and then there's just so much judgment, you know, when we just, it's like, what what would life be like if people could just remember, oh, you're just amazing, awesome, and brilliant. You know what I mean? <laughs> It'd be a game changer, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's so powerful and and healing, you know, even to just listen to. And I, I imagine for other folks who are with us as well, just hearing that uh, it's affirming and, it, you know, it lets you release uh, some of that stuff that you're holding on to. So thank you. Dr. Joy, we always wrap our our show with asking that question, how are you being you in this moment? And so we're we, we going to have you start that off. 
Um, <laughs> George, I always love when your eyebrows rise up because I know you're about to put something together that's going to be like, ooh, let me get my journal. Um, <laughs> like, how am I being me? <laughs> so that's who the question I? that we have for, for everybody. After these last four weeks, I'm like, who am I again? I'm right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll start this time. How I'm being me right now in this moment is I am talking to my grandparents, my my the ancestors of my, my great-grandfather, Lincoln Berry, with these, you know, huge, tall, blind organ player. Um, I talked to my my uncle Lincoln, his son, who broke up the Chantels to to for when he stole Aunt Dottie and told her you gonna come with me and sing God's God's songs across the South. Um, you know, I, I'm sitting here reflecting up there at my cousin's house, looking at some water, and um, I find myself getting into conversations, arguments with them <laughs> about you know just all the things happening around. And it's not necessarily the audible conversation, but right now I am finding myself in communion with ancestors, both personal and then, you know, that we all share across time. And that's, that's in this moment, that's kind of how I'm being me right now. Um, and I'm just letting that sit and go where it goes and whatever comes out, it will. But um, I've struggled to do that in the past. I used to be able to call it up whenever and I've struggled and lost it. And it's like finding a, a friend I ain't talked to in a while. Um, and that's where I'm at. That's how I'm being me right now. How are you all being you right now? Awesome. Hmm. How am I being me? Um, you know, I, I have been doing a lot of, um, just deep, deep, deep belly laughs. Um, just finding moments to uh, laugh deeply about the silliest things. Like when I can't like even remember why I am laughing, you know, like and and finding moments, particularly tonight, not take myself so seriously, you know, and um mm. I it's a reclaiming, I think, of joy of of like that younger self of of mine. I always had as a young person, I had like the biggest smile, and I had like the biggest like um, I would just laugh and laugh and laugh and have a big smile. And I remember some um, some adults in my life was like, just live a little, you know, that ain't going, <laughs> you ain't going to be laughing like that. And I was like so crushed by that. And there was a mm. period of time where that, that smile and that laugh got a little dimmer. You know, I did live a little and it did, you know, I didn't laugh as much. And I would say that that's coming back, you know, mm. like that's coming back, even in the midst of like all that is going on. And so I I sometimes would, would come on Facebook and people have been nudging me about doing a podcast and the the I'll come on Facebook and I do joy in the morning. Right. Okay. Joy in the morning. And it is M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, right? So, like, how do you hold both things, right? And so wow. I am like, you know what? Y'all ain't gonna steal my joy, you know? And and so I just be laughing. So I think that's how I'm being me. Yep, it's a lot going on, but I still am going to find joy. And I I literally am going to, you know, I just rap with this, like, li- live up to my name. My, you know, my mom named me Joy. And um, my mother passed away when I was seven months old. Mm. 
And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she, uh, she had cancer. There are no pictures of my mother and I together because um, she was in so much pain. She couldn't hold me. But even through all of that, she named me Joy, you know, and she wanted me to know that even though she was in all that pain, she named me Joy. And so I hold on to that like that, that that's my name, you know, so that is what I, you know, sort of sort of live with that. So with that out. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> you are her joy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um I think in in this moment, how I'm being me, you know, I really uh worked around the clock uh the last five or six weeks uh, doing <laughs> trial coverage. <laughs> protest coverage, press conferences in the middle of the night on Minnesota Operation Safety Net. And um, I knew it was a season. And and I, I told even, I remember this conversation I had with my 12-year-old daughter, who has been an amazing support for me, uh, helping me. Like, I come in, I'm exhausted, she'll charge my equipment. And I just remember asking her to do something very simple. And she just looked at me like, you asking me to do something else? Like, dang. And, and so I just, baby, listen, this is, it, it's almost done. The verdict will come out this week. You know, it, it'll be done in a week. I won't ask, you know, give me one more week. Just bear with me and, you know, this will be over. I remember saying that to her. And so after uh, the verdict came out and after we kind of wrapped stuff up um, uh, with the trial and whatnot, I have been spending so much time being a mother, uh, really enjoying giving my two and three-year-old a bath and brushing their hair and turning on, you know, the little nursery rhymes and just being a mother. And uh, my husband has a, a birthday here coming up. So, you know, being a wife and, and leaning into uh, planning a surprise for him and just leaning into those other roles that I uh, was not able to lean into because of the season I was in professionally. And, and so for me, it has been... um a joy to be able to spend time with my family in a way that I I hadn't in the last few weeks. I love, I love hearing the responses to that question from folks. Um, And, and, and hopefully it can, you know, in, in the spirit of what Dr. Joy brought us to finding each other um, that I can take and listen to your, your moments, Georgia, I can listen to your moments of how you're being you, Dr. Joy. And I can, I can, I can see where I can apply that to me. Um, You know, uh, our, our uh, auntie Lisa Jones, who um, on KMOJ talks about putting fat on your head. Um, And I think about that every time I get to hear you do that. And so a shout out to her as well um, for how she's trained us how to be and how to reflect. In addition to all of the healers that have been in our space. Um, I think it's, it'd be awesome if we, you know, George, I usually toss it to you because you've been the one reminding, reminding us to, to, for, for this, but we got Dr. Joy in the building. And so Dr. Joy, in the spirit of the ancestors, I'm going to kick it over to you. We always close out quoting you. I don't even know how to set T this up because you're the one that taught <laughs> it to us. Um, <laughs> but um, if, if you would, it would be a blessing for you to close this out with your saying that we uphold for you. Absolutely. 
May the revolution be healing, y'all. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This is Bearing Witness. We're going to have to record that now and just play her yep. voice. At yep. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the trial of Derek Chauvin is over, we will continue to bear witness to the racial reckoning happening in Minnesota. So we'll see you next week. This has been Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, a part of the racial reckoning project, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities, KMOJ Radio, and the Minnesota Humanities Center with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.